Cornerstone Community Church has uh, been going through the Bible, and uh, perhaps many of you have been reading through on the reading schedule. And uh, this Sunday, you all have been in Proverbs chapter 24 through 31. And um, uh, so we're going to look at one passage from that, uh, that group of scripture. So it starts off like this. It says, uh, verses 1 through 2, The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vow? Who was King Lemuel? Well, we actually don't have any other information from Scripture about who this king was. This is the only time he's mentioned in the Bible. He's not mentioned in Chronicles or Kings. Uh, Lemuel means for God. So essentially he was dedicated, his mom dedicated him to God. And Jewish tradition or legend says it might have been a pet name that Bathsheba had given to her son Solomon. And as you may know, that most of Proverbs was written by Solomon. So we don't really know. But either way, uh, this passage is primarily about the words that his mother was giving him. And she says this, uh, literally, ma, my son, ma is the word for what. You don't have any other, it doesn't actually say what are you doing, it says what, my son. So uh, translations have tried different ways of, of trying to understand that. What are you doing? Listen. What should I say, my son? What, what are you thinking of, my son? These are just different translations of that. But essentially, the point is, she's trying to get her son's attention and to listen to her advice. This is actually very similar to earlier in Proverbs, where Solomon is giving advice to his son. And he says, here, my son, here, O sons. This is chapter 1, verse 8, and, verse, and chapter 4, verse 1. So this is really in keeping with the theme of Proverbs. Do you ever ask that to your children? What are you doing, my, my son, my daughter? I can say, I actually say that every night to my children because there's a, a certain time when it's time to get ready for bed, right? And are they getting ready for bed? No. So what are you doing right now? Is that something I say in our house? Yep, it happens almost every night. Uh, so perhaps Lemuel wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing, and his mother is saying, what are you doing? Have you ever stopped and stepped out of, out of your house and in your neighborhood asked, what's going on over there? God, what are you doing here? Last year, um, a neighbor that lives two houses from us, I'm going to call him Antonio, uh, we began hearing this loud noise, and um, it was a man yelling. And so we stepped outside, couldn't see anyone, but we, we heard a lot of yelling. Later on, I could see this tall man, two houses from us. Um, I would learn later on he would come for stints to stay with his ex-wife. Um, but he would pace outside of his house, yelling, yelling out commands. Now, this is what it sounded like. And um, uh, it sounded like a drill sergeant, basically, uh, giving orders. At times, the cops would show up. They would come. They would handcuff him, put him in the back of, this, uh, of the car until he calmed down. Then they would let him out. And this happened frequently. Um, 
I'd go over sometimes. It happened during our service. I'd go over, and I prayed with him, give him some water, uh, and he, he'd calm down. Before I came to, to this church last year, he stopped by our house right be- the day before we left and asked for some more water, I think because he was yelling a lot, and he, he was a little parched there. Um, so finally, in de- this last December, we're having church. So um, there's a picture, next slide. Um, our church is on the right side in that yard. You can see the mural in the back. His house is on the other side of it. He was out there yelling again, and we're trying to have service. And this is part of the beauty of having service outside. You have a lot of other noises, cars with loud, ra- uh, loud ster- sound systems and, and helicopters and those kind of things. But he was yelling, so I went over again to pray for him, and I invited him to church. Um, so he calmed down again, and then uh, I started the sermon. This was in December. Then he uh, ends up walking across that street, and uh, next to the yard, there's an alley there, right before the, the, the mural. So he starts pacing in the alley as I'm giving the sermon right next to it on the yard. And then eventually, midway through the sermon, he comes in and he sits down, smiling. He's not yelling. He's listening, nodding. I learned later, so after the service, we all um, asked him, could we pray for him? Could we pray for him? And we learned, of course, that uh, he had some post-traumatic stress disorder. He had been in the military. Um, but not just that, uh, also just being in Compton, um, he had seen some, some really difficult things. So we prayed for him. He returned to our service for the next month. And uh, he, he, wouldn't, he, he couldn't speak very much, so he would use a lot of hand signals and he would whisper. And sometimes he was like singing a song while he was trying to speak, so it was really hard to understand what he was saying. But I knew over time, so he would take my hand and put it on his heart to say he really appreciated us there. And then he would look up and he would say, So during our service one time, he, we, we give thanksgiving, and he thanked God because he had gotten shot, and, and, and he survived. God saved him from his life. So uh, this spring, we didn't see him. He, he left uh, from that place, and it was actually a few weeks ago, um, I saw him, and, and I didn't tell my wife this, but he was driving by in his truck, and he just stopped in front of our house, and he said, God bless you. I said, God bless you. I, I never heard him talk so just normally. And we had prayed for him many times, and I believe God was answering that prayer. But again, the question was, what's going on over there? God, what do you want to do? And that's the question that we need to ask, right? When we step outside, when we see our neighbors, our coworkers, what's going on? God, what do you want to do? Many times he wants to be at work, and he wants to use you. Verse 3 says this, do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. So this is Lemuel's mother talking to him. And by women, we can assume it's, he doesn't mean, she doesn't mean all women, because she's one of those women, right? And, um, but it's, it's, it's women who are not of the, of your vows. He's the son of her vows, right? Her, her marriage vows. Um, and this is in keeping with the theme of Proverbs, which is to avoid the adulteress and to avoid sexual immorality. So he says, do not give your strength to them. 
What does it mean to give your strength? And by the way, this applies to anyone. It's, it's really giving your strength to a relationship that God has not intended for you. Proverbs 7, 26 through 27 says this, For many a victim has she, being the adulteress, laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. So this is a warning that's already in Proverbs. What does it mean to give your strength to um, someone, say you're, you're married, but you want to commit adultery, what does it mean to give your strength that she's warning Lemuel against? Well, a good example of this is the, the biblical person of Samson in Judges 14 through 16. Some of you know his story. He actually was a man of strength. God gave him great strength. No one could oppose his strength except for a woman that tempted him, right, named Delilah. She tempted him. He gave away his strength to her, and ultimately it cost the nation of Israel, and it cost him his own life. That's a good example of do not give your strength, Lemuel, to an adulteress. Now, how can, can they destroy kings, okay? Lemuel has a lot of power as a king. How can this potentially destroy him? Well, Proverbs 6, 28 through 29 can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. So there is punishment, is what the Proverbs is saying, for those who do this. From who? who who's who's going to punish potentially Lemuel? Chapter 6, verse 34 through 35. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. So the person who's taking revenge here is the person who was sinned against, the husband. What does this punishment look like? Verse 33, he will get wounds and dishonor. His grace, his disgrace will not be wiped away. So there's this lifetime of disgrace. The Bible in the law, Leviticus 20.10 says, if there's a man who commits adultery with another's uh, wife, one who commits adultery with his friend's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. And this is actually, uh, this, this uh, importance for purity is carried on in the New Testament. Hebrews 13, 4, marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. So Lemuel's mother is warning him, saying, hey, God has, has given you this precious calling as king. And you know what? There's ways you can really mess this up. And here's one way you can mess it up with women who could destroy you. This is true for you and me too, right? Um, especially if you're, if you're married, uh, committing adultery could mess a lot of things up for your family, potentially for your job, and there are other forms of impurity. But ultimately, if we broaden it, our relationship, whether it's a man or a woman, could really lead us away from the Lord is the potential. You want to find the person of your vows that will actually lead you to Christ. So God brought to us two people, uh, Colt and Crystal. They came to us this year. Uh, they're a couple. They're a homeless couple. And uh, our sister Giovanna is over there. She's on the right-hand uh, right side in this picture. She goes to our church. 
She was going to, to a smart and final right before our service to get food for a potluck. And she sees Colton Crystal out, outside asking for money. So she helps them, and then she invites them to church. And, uh, and they say, yes, we'll come. So they come. Um, they took a bus to get to, to the church, which was wonderful. They stayed. They were really connected in the service. And afterward, we got to pray and get to know their story. They both struggled with drug addiction, alcoholism, and violence. Um, Crystal, when she came to church, she actually had a black eye um, from a fight she had gotten into with, with another homeless person on, uh, in, in their area. Holt had been praying for help, but Crystal was the reason that she said that they came to church. And even though she came, uh, she was intoxicated when she came to our service. So we prayed for them, and we shared the gospel with them, and they began coming every week. Colt shared with me, I could tell on the first Sunday that he came after service, he shared with me that his uncle had been a, a Salvation Army minister. He grew up in the church, but his life obviously spiraled down. And I could tell when I was talking to them that she was a big reason that he was being weighed down. He really wanted to take steps forward in his life, but he was really devoted to her, and she was not willing to give up her alcoholism and her fighting. So they, they were coming, and then there was a couple Sundays where they, they didn't show up. And um, when you're a small church, you really, really see when someone's not there. So I went, and I gave him a call, and I drove to where they were, um, where they were staying find out what was going on. They had been, um, they had been depressed. Uh, they were dealing with some physical things, and that's why they hadn't come. Uh, it was a week when uh, it was gonna be raining in our area. Praise God for rain. Um, but of course, when you're homeless, that's a difficult time. So I decided to get them a motel uh, that night, uh, not as a permanent solution, but as a way to show Christ's love. And um, they were only there for one hour, and they got kicked out of the motel. They didn't come to church that Sunday because, uh, well, Colt didn't come because he was embarrassed. But Crystal came, and she was crying the whole time through, through the service, just really embarrassed about her, her behavior. I asked her, uh, do you want to get well? Do you want to go through to a rehab? And um, for certain particular reasons, she was unwilling to do that. So the last time I saw Colt was in May. He came over to my house and he was talking a mile a minute, seemed to be on some kind of a drug. He had alcohol with him. He acknowledged that him and, and Crystal had been fighting uh, both verbally and physically. But for him, everything was her fault. And he wasn't willing to acknowledge his part. So I said, he, he came over because he also wanted me to, to hold some of his precious papers because they kept getting stolen by other people. I still have his, his documents at our house, so I'm, I'm hoping I can see him again. But um, I said, Colt, you need to get right with God. And he said, oh, I'm good with God. I'm good, it's, it's, it's Crystal that needs, needs to get right with God. He was willing to go through a rehab, but he was not willing to take ownership over his part. I don't know totally how they got to where they were, but I do know that 
as Lemuel's mother warned him, a relationship can really destroy the calling that God has on your life. And I feel like God, God has a calling for both of them. But Colt grew up in the church. He knew that God has a call, had a calling on his life. But a bad relationship can destroy that. And that's what Lemuel's mother is warning him. You're a king. You're called as a king. Don't let something ruin that. So verse 4. It's not for kings, O Lemuel. It's not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of the afflicted. These are two words that show up a lot together in Scripture. Wine, which is yayin in the Hebrew, and strong drink, which is shachar. They show up together a lot. It's not for kings, she said, to drink these things. Also, what it wasn't for, priests were to abstain when they went into the tent of meeting, Leviticus 10.9, from drinking. Nazarites were not supposed to drink, number 6.3. So we see that certain people, not everyone, but certain people had such a high calling that they weren't supposed to drink. And the question is, why? Well, she says, unless you forget what's been decreed, or the law. The word is the law in the Hebrew. What specifically is she talking about? Well, she doesn't say a specific law, but ultimately the, the effect of the law was to show justice for the afflicted. So she was worried that Lemuel, if he got too much into drinking, his job as a king was to uphold the law. And this law was a righteous law. It was a law to defend the rights of the afflicted. And if Lemuel got distracted, his job was to execute the law. And, and he wouldn't do that. And if that didn't happen, then bullies would come and afflict and oppress people, and he wouldn't do anything to defend them like he was supposed to. Or worse, he would become a bully himself with too much drinking. So you might say, well, this, this message is for a king. It's not for me. I'm not a king. Unless someone here is part of the royal family in some part of Europe. Um, most of you probably don't identify as, I'm a prince, I'm a princess, except, you know, for your spouse, right? You're a king and a queen of your house. So you might say, well, I'm not a king, um, and, and, and so strong drink is, is okay. And of course, this is not talking about abstinence or, or prohibition. But I want to say that everyone here, if you have committed your life to Christ, you're part of a royal family. Jesus is our king. He's the Lord of lords and king of kings, Revelation 17, 14. But if you put your trust in him, he has delivered you, the Bible says in Colossians 1, 13, from the domain of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of his beloved son, okay? And if you're a part of that kingdom, Romans 8, 17 says, if you follow the King Jesus, both in his glory and his suffering, you are heirs of God and co-heirs with him. If you've received Jesus, John 1, 12 says, you're the, you, you've been given the privilege to be called children of God. That's the children of the king of the universe, okay? So you, you are royal. Luke 10, 19, 
um, Jesus gives his disciples authority against the kingdom of Satan, okay? Um, over the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. 1 Corinthians 6, 2 through 3, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? So we were made to rule in Christ um, in part in this life and culminating in the next life. So maybe you're not a king in the way that we understand in, in this world, but you are royal children of God. And how much more important not to be entangled or to be distracted or to be taken down by the things of this world. If Lemuel's mother's advice is important for him, God's charge for us, our calling is even far more important than his. Even so, also, again, you might say, well, I'm not, I'm not technically a king, but for many of us in America, our, uh, what we've been blessed with financially, with food, with our house, we own a house, um, possessions, our different um, abilities and options that we have make us live like royalty in comparison to everyone in the history of the world and for many places in the world. So in both cases, we have a calling to use our authority in Christ and whatever he has given us on this earth for his kingdom's sake. So the admonition is for us as well. The temptation for Satan, if you belong to Christ, is going to be to minimize your effectiveness in this life. It's going to be to distract you from his calling for your life through whatever means. And maybe alcohol is a, is a means of distraction for you. It is for many people. But it can be other things, other pleasures of this world, right? It could be food. It could be stuff and possessions. It could be entertainment, media, music. There are a lot of things that can distract us from our calling. There's a connection between these two words, wine and strong drink, and leadership in Israel. And it's, uh, it's often a bad connection. So uh, Isaiah 5, 11 through 12 says this, Woe to those who rise up early in the morning that they may pursue strong drink and stay up late in the evening that wine may inflame them. There's those two words. Um, uh, they do not pay attention to the deeds of the Lord, nor, con nor consider the works of his hands. Verse 22, woe to those who are heroes in drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drinks, who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away the rights of the ones who are in the right. So there's a connection often, at least for the leadership of Israel, with being inebriated, inebriated and perverting justice, what they were not supposed to do as leaders. So Lemuel's mother is warning him, don't be like that as well. Now, there's an important clarification. The Bible doesn't say um, that we should avoid alcohol completely or that we should be abstinent from any relationship with another person. There's a certain context for both, right, that is, is good. Um, and we're going to see that later in this passage. But alcohol can so easily uh, distract people from their responsibilities. 
So, um, in Compton, our, uh, in my district, our city councilman, um, the FBI raided his house last year for drugs. And uh, he was caught this year um, um, defrauding the election. He had manipulated ballots. He had um, harvested them. And uh, so you have a great example of someone who is in leadership, um, who was supposed to avoid these distractions, but who perverted justice. Now, on the positive side, um, we've been called to Compton, and as such, we can really visualize ourselves as lives on mission. We're not, we're not there for ourselves. We're there for, for Christ and to reach out to our neighborhood. But even so, I finished work one day on a Thursday, and I was looking forward to doing some writing, looking forward to maybe watching a few videos. And then I get a call from an old friend I hadn't seen in a few years. Her name was Denora, is Denora. She's from our mother church, Emmanuel. And she called, and she let me know that she has a friend, her name is Wendy, and her friend has a cousin who was shot and killed in South LA. Um, the story, uh, and this is on the news, um, uh, this was earlier this year, um, Carlos and Alejandro Garcia were working at a Taco Bell in South LA, just about a 10-minute drive from where I was. And uh, in the drive-thru, a man came, he tried to pay for his order, uh, this is late, this was like 11 o'clock, tried to pay for his order with a counterfeit $20 bill. And Carlos, who's the son, Alejandro is the father, they were both working there. Carlos was in the drive-thru, and he could tell it was a counterfeit um, $20 bill, so he refused to accept it. The man in the drive-thru pulled out a gun to shoot him. His dad was, was next to him, pushed him aside, and got shot and killed. And, um, and, and his, his dad died in his arms. I was called to go to this prayer vigil to pray for the family and to be there. Um, <clears throat> and I had never done something like this before. But um, she called me because we're in Compton and we're close to South LA where a lot of this stuff is happening as well. So even though relaxation is important, but I thought this is, this is why I'm here. This is, why we're, this is what we're called to do as believers, right? Not just me, but you. So we, my son Caden and I went um, over to the, to the location. So you had this gathering of people. It was, it was people from the community. There were, there were police officers there. There were about a couple hundred people from the neighborhood that were there. The family was there. Their extended family was there. The news people were there. And um, I just felt like, I don't know what to do, God. <laughs> I feel very inadequate. Um, what are you supposed to say to someone who's just, who just went through this? But I was called to go there just to pray. And I just feel like that's the best thing I can do right now, right? Because um, what they need is Jesus. So I went and I prayed for them. And I, I prayed um, Psalm 56, verse 8, which says, um, you have taken the count of my wanderings. You've kept my tears in your bottle. Are they not written in your book? First uh, Peter um, 5, 7, which many of you may know, cast your cares upon Christ 
because he cares for you. And um, even though they were going through so much loss and pain and tragedy, I prayed that they would experience the love of Jesus in a very special way. And that everyone there, I proclaimed the name of Jesus and the gospel, that God loves them. And I prayed that every heart would be softened to him on that night. Their family uh, is Jehovah's Witness, but they still wanted a pastor to pray for them. And so after I prayed for everyone, I prayed with the family. And finally I got to pray, and you can see on the right picture, I prayed specifically for Carlos, um, the son who, who lost his parents, his father. He was of course dealing with guilt, right? He felt like he should have gotten the bullet, not his dad. Um, and so I prayed against that guilt and that shame with him. And I told him after we got, got done praying, and Caden's there in that picture, and you can see our brother Robin, he's, he's at our church as well. And I shared with him, you know, I lost, I, I don't, I can't imagine what you're going through, but I lost a parent when I was young as well, and, um, and God became my father. So he wants to be your father too. So I gave, him, I gave him my card, and I prayed with him, and, I, and um, I, I followed up with him, but I didn't hear from him. And then I saw Wendy last month at a gathering, um, and she said the whole family had decided they wanted to do a Christian Bible study. They wanted to go through the book of John. So I, I just celebrate that, and I'd, I'd love for you to continue to pray. She asked me to reach out to him again last month. Um, perhaps, uh, perhaps you struggle with something that Lemuel's mom was mentioning to him. Something that uh, could distract you from your calling. There is a world that needs to hear good news. They need to hear the gospel of Jesus. They need to know salvation in him. And my prayer for all of us is that we wouldn't be distracted from that opportunity when God gives that for us. Verse 6. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing, and wine to those who are in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty, and remember their misery no more. Again, you hear those two words, wine and strong drink, here. Now, Lemuel's mom is saying there's actually a group of people that it's okay to drink wine and, and strong drink, and, and that's people who are of bitter of soul. Okay? Alcohol is classified as a central nervous system depressant, meaning um, it, uh, it slows down brain functioning and neural activity. It, it, it enhances uh, the neurotransmitter GABA. It, it's, it's pain medication is what she's saying. It's like, uh, like aspirin or Tylenol or, uh, or Motrin, right? And she said, there's some people that are really in pain and they could use it, really, to be honest. So my question for you is, is she right? Is that okay? Now, many people drink because they're in pain, right? Of course, you can drink in moderation, right? And that's, that's good. But many people, and people that we, we've seen in, in, in Compton, homeless people, they're, they're drinking exactly for the reason that Lemuel's mom is saying they should drink. They're in pain. They're, they're, they might, well, they're not necessarily perishing, but they're closer to it, and they're bitter of soul. So is she right? 
is, does alcohol have a, a good purpose in God's creation, or is it a byproduct of the fall? Wine is drunk in the Bible, okay? One, it's, it's drunk on, on just regular meals. A lot of times in the first century and beyond, wine was actually cleaner than water for many people. And so it would be regularly taken with meals. Clearly, it's drunk at celebrations, right? Jesus turned water into wine. And if that was a bad thing, he wouldn't have done it, right? John chapter 2. It's drunk in the Bible medicinally, okay? So Paul tells Timothy, 1 Timothy 5, 23, take some wine for your stomach because your stomach's hurting. And I think wine's going to help it. And it's taken as a pain reliever, is what we just read, Proverbs 31, 6. Moreover, Jesus on the cross, right? If you remember, some of you may, um, he is offered wine, sour wine with vinegar. Why is he offered that on the cross? To help him with the pain, right? Because it had a purpose of helping, helping him with the pain. But he refused it because he really believed he was supposed to experience all of the pain that he was going through on behalf of you and me. So it seems to have a place in Scripture, but it is often abused as well. Proverbs 23, 20 through 21. This is the Proverbs. This is the book that we're in. Do not be with heavy drinkers of wine or with gluttonous eaters of meat, for the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will close one, clothe one with rags. Drunkenness is frequently mentioned in the New Testament as one of the vices worthy of condemnation. Drunkards don't have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. And it's, it's held in contrast to being filled with the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 5.8. Don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So, of course, the problem is if both relationship or alcohol, what kind of place it has in our lives, if it's an idol or not. It's not fitting for Lemuel. Why is it not fitting for him? Because he's not bitter of soul. He's not in that, that, that class of people that his mother's talking about. He's a king. He has a lot of privilege and power and authority. And uh, he doesn't need to be carousing. So, um, ultimately, while God gives us pain medicine, right? He gives us different forms of dealing with pain. And praise God for those different natural and, 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 and way discoveries that we've had to deal with the pain, that physical pain that we have. But in our distress, our pain was meant to point us to Christ, to cry out to him. That is, that is the application for our pain. Psalm 18, verse 6. In my distress, in my pain, I cried out to the Lord. Called upon the Lord to my God, I cried for help. From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry reached his ears. If you're in pain, God may provide relief for that pain in different ways in this world. But his desire is for you to call upon him, for him to be your deliverer and savior. So I have a neighbor. His name is Miguel. It's a good name, huh? <laughs> Miguel is known in our neighborhood driving fast through there on his motorcycle, sometimes yelling, okay? Um, this may not be you, Miguel, okay? But this Miguel in our neighborhood, um, 
He's often in some kind of mood. Uh, there's another neighbor that comes to our church, and this Miguel has begun coming to our church, and she's seen him kicking things down and everything. We, uh, we helped his family out with the Compton Initiative, painted their part of their house, and I got to know Miguel. He began coming over to our house, and uh, I began to learn about his story. He would come, he would need some help, he'd ask for $5 here, $10 there, I would help him, I'd pray with him. And then, especially over the last year, uh, Miguel's on the right, by the way, and um, Robin, uh, who's, uh, who preaches at our church as well, is on the left. And he began, um, by the way, he's, uh, all the people I share stories with and I mention their names, they give me permission to share their stories. Um, but he began telling me more of his story. He, he had a wife, he had three kids, he had a good job, he had a house that he owned. But he became bitter of soul. And what he did when his bitterness is he went to crack cocaine. And he told me, because so, so I interviewed him on, on Thursday um, for a video. He was in tears just sharing this. He said, said crack just took it all away. Lost his marriage. Um, he's not very close with his kids. His job, said he'd be gone for months on a binge. He, he, uh, he lost his house. He moved back to Compton, where on our street, where we live, about eight houses to the north. Uh, his, his elderly mother lives in the front house. He lives in the garage, and there's like no insulation there, holes in the wall. There's, it was a broken refrigerator. There's no shower there. And, um, and, and, and this drug really stole his life. Uh, Satan used it uh, to, to steal his calling from him, and he gave into it. He said in Compton, Compton where he, his addiction really grew, that I can, I can find crack easier than I can find water. I know exactly where to go. He's gone through rehab seven times, uh, where he's in an in-house in rehab. He's, he's, he's released, sober for a while. He said one story, I was sober for six months. I was walking down Elm Street, which is the street just to the north of us on Mayo, it's perpendicular. He was walking down, and his, his former dealer drives by. Hey, Miguel, I haven't seen you in a long time. Yeah, I'm, I've been sober for six months. I'm not doing that anymore. Oh, that's good. Guy drives off, takes a bag of crack, throws it out the window. You can imagine what happened, right? Off the wagon again. That's Compton for Miguel. So he went through a rehab in Ensenada, Mexico. And through there, he realized, you know what? I'm, I'm not tempted when I'm in Mexico. But when I come back to Compton, that's when... If some of you have dealt with addiction, there's a phrase, uh, familiar playground, familiar playmate. There's a sense where you have to change your environment and you have to change your friends or the friends that are around in order to get out of that. So he would eventually have to come back to Compton because of practical reasons and financial reasons. He would run out of money there. He'd have to find a job. He'd get a job quickly and then blow it all. So I would see him sometimes. He would come up because he was still friendly with me, and he was twitching, and he was, he, was, he was on it. 
But, God, but he realized um, that God had a calling in a life. And um, a few years ago, he committed his life to Christ. Well, but that didn't change all of his problems and his temptation. So um, he realized that God had placed us on that street on purpose. And that while he was there, he needed to use our family as much as possible to stay sober. So he would come over every day. And I'd pray with him, I'd talk with him, I'd encourage him. He began coming to our church as well. He started calling the vine his church and me his pastor. And then he would go off to Mexico. He began taking food and clothes. And we as a church would supply him with all of the stuff to bring with him to Mexico. Because he would work in the rehab centers, and there are people there with no shoes and very little food. And so we'd bring it all back there. And he realized, this is my calling. I am called by God to help others um, in rehab centers in Ensenada. So he had a relapse about a couple months ago. And uh, I can tell when it's happened because he is, he's not at church, right? And there's only two reasons he's not at church. He's either in Mexico or he's relapsed. And he usually tells me when he's going to Mexico. So, um, so we prayed for him, and he shared his testimony in our church. And then my brother Robin here, um, he drives by his house, and Miguel is out there. He's still detoxed. He's still, he's still on the drug. And he just gives him a hug, says, we love you. Miguel felt the Holy Spirit even though he was still on it. And he, he, he turned over all of his money from his paycheck, and he said, give this to Pastor Jonathan. Hold on to it. So I became a bank for him, and uh, $5 here, $10 there to take care of business. But at our church, with tears, he said, I am so blessed because you never judged me. You still loved me, even though we know what I'm doing is wrong. Um, in your arrogance, you didn't reject me. See, I'm someone who, who understands I'm not perfect either. I struggle with things. And what I need is the love of God. God has a calling on his life. Substances like cocaine or alcohol, the, the devil wanted to use to take him from that. Are you bitter of soul? Do you feel that? Do you feel a real temptation to really drink in the, what this world can give to deal with that pain when really only the Lord God can deliver you from what you're, you're suffering with? Final, final verses, eight and nine. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Why is Lemuel is instructed by his mom, open your mouth? Do something for those who are suffering. This could be, he, he, he might be playing the role of a judge. Judge righteously and fairly. Give them justice. Help the least of these. That's what we're all called to as, as believers. Jesus says, whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me. So God sent two of the least of these to our church this year as well. Um, one, his name is Clarence. And the other is Walter. There they are. And um, they live down the street from us on the corner. And uh, I, I would often see them walking by. And uh, 
So I invited Clarence to church, and he came. He showed up. But when he got there the first time, he said, I want to go to church, but I can't because my back is hurting, and it's just hurting too much. i got to go home. Lay down. I said, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, can I pray for you that you'd be healed? Because Jesus wants you in church today. Sure. So I prayed for him, laid hands on him for healing. And I said, okay, how you doing? I said, he said, I'm doing a lot better. I said, well, like, what do you mean better? It's all gone. I can say for church. <laughs> so so he, he comes to church every Sunday since that Sunday. And, um, and after that, he walks by our house because he has his medicine at a certain place uh, that he has to take. Uh, he's in a kind of a group home, and his medicine's in a different place. And so he always has to pass by our house. And then he always stops and asks for prayer. Can you pray for me? And then he also asks, and you got something cold and sweet. So we always give him a little something cold and sweet. He loves that. So prayer and, and a little refreshing drink. Um, in June, we had planned to go out for our kid's birthday. We were going to go celebrate in an outing. And he comes by and says, I, I just feel really dizzy, feel lightheaded. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And we're planning to get ready to leave. <laughs> but again, open your mouth for those who are needy, right? That's our calling. So I really wanted to not be late for this thing that we had planned. But I really cared for him, too. And again, that's what we're called for. So I learned that he hadn't taken his blood pressure medication for like five days. He hadn't gotten a refill because he had missed his doctor's appointment. So we're, we're in our car. I'm driving to a clinic. Clinic's closed. I'm driving to the other place where he gets his medicine. I learned why he didn't get his medicine. Um, I'm calling Robin because he used to be a, a paramedic. What should I do here? I'm praying for him. And finally, I realized, oh, he says, I haven't had breakfast yet. Okay. <laughs> I get him some breakfast at home. Oh, I'm feeling a lot better. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> we can still go on our outing. Okay. So I gave him a, a spare phone I had. I said, if you have any problem, I, I, I got the assurance from the people at the home that they know how to get him to the hospital if there's anything wrong. I told him to call 911 if there's a problem. You can always call me. And we took care of him. And again, Walter comes every Sunday, just happy, just joyful to be at church. Walter, Walter is a big man. He's really tall, and he has knee problems. I've often seen him walking down our street, kind of limping, and he's kind of a big, intimidating man, okay? I was passing by Clarence's place, and I saw Walter out there, and Clarence introduced me to Walter, and Walter is Clarence's roommate at, at their place. So I invited Walter to church, and Walter came. Praise God. We prayed for him. Walter shares with us not only that he had knee problems, but that he was dealing with demonization in his head. He said, 
I try, to, I try to pray, but the demons keep me from praying. So we prayed for him for that. Two weeks later, he didn't show up at church. What do you do when someone doesn't show up at church? At our place, we go and knock on their door. Because <laughs> we, we live on the street, right? So he didn't show up for church, and we had some time before the service started. So I went with Miguel, and we went over to his house. Come on now. And we're going to get this guy to church, right? The former a recovering drug addict, we're going to get this guy who's, who's being demonized to church. So he said, I want to go to church, but the demons aren't letting me. I said, well, can we pray for you? We prayed, and I, I'm not experienced with this stuff, okay? But the Bible says that we have authority. So we prayed for him to be delivered. And then I come to learn, well, he said... Um, uh, I come to learn he has a background in Jehovah's Witness which says that Jesus is not God. And so I was calling upon the name of Jesus, but for him, that didn't mean the same thing. Didn't have authority. So we had to, we had to clean that up in his theology, right? Because people have to want to be delivered and they have to know who Jesus is. His name has power over the devil. The real Jesus so we clarified that. He ended up sharing the demon's name is Frankie. So after we prayed, he came back to church. Two weeks later, he's in church. After worship, he falls on the ground in our service. And he said, Frankie made him do that. Again, I don't know all that what's going on. I don't know how much of this is mental illness, how much of this is Satan at work. But we know what we can do is pray. So we prayed. Then we talked about prayer. And he said, I can't pray because Frankie won't let me pray. I said, Walter, have you committed your life to Christ? Have you said yes to Jesus? He said, no. I said, do you want to make that commitment right now? He said, I'm not, I'm not ready. Frankie won't let me. <laughs> and I said, um, I respect that, but if you say yes to Jesus, he will start you on a journey to be delivered from Frankie. But you've got to give him your life. So he said he's not ready. Next week, he's not ready. Three weeks ago, he said he was ready. So we prayed, and he committed his life to Christ. And you know what? Not everything's fixed in his life. If you're here and you've given your life to Christ, is everything fixed when you give your life to Christ? It's a journey, right? And there's, there's pain, and Jesus promises that his disciples will suffer in this life. But he is on a road to freedom, freedom from the devil, being delivered from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. <clears throat> Defend the rights of the needy. Open your mouth, do something, Lemuel's mom says, for those who are afflicted. That's what we're here for, right? That's what you are called to, not just us. So final celebrations as we close the sermon. Um, we had an, a Thanksgiving outreach where we fed 80 to 100 people in the park locally. Um, there was a family uh, that we met at Cornerstone that helped us with that. As Cherise said, we had, three, uh, we had four faith commitments this year. We had three baptisms last year. More baptisms this fall from those who committed their life to Christ to come. 
Um, we have more leaders that God has provided. We've had meetings and retreats. Uh, we have more people joining our, our worship team. Um, we've had more Compton Initiative Days to help our neighbors out. Uh, one of our core families in our church moved into Compton to, to be on mission with us, which is a big deal. Um, we've had Christmas and Easter outreaches, and like I've said, every day people are at our house, and there are stories. The day before I left, Jerry, our homeless friend, um, came and we blessed him. We always bless him with food, bless him with our recycling, with some money, and he was particularly touched. And I told him, uh, this is because Jesus loves you. I'll love you whether you accept him or not, because he says he's a Muslim, he's part of the Nation of Islam, which there's a, there's a mosque uh, about a mile from our house. But I said, regardless of what you decide with Jesus, we'll love you. But I want you to know, it's because he loves you. You need to give your life to him. And I, and I, I told him straightforward. So, in conclusion, you are all called, you know. Um, you're all royalty. If you're in Christ, if you belong to him, you are sons and daughters of the king of the universe. And you have a calling. And Satan wants to keep you distracted from that calling. Just like... He wanted to keep Lemuel distracted from his calling as a king. He wants you to open your mouth to share the gospel because who are the most oppressed in this world? There are people that are oppressed financially, but the most oppressed are those who are oppressed by the devil in deception and lies who are heading to condemnation. And God wants to use you to bring people by his spirit from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. Will you answer that calling? If you would pray for us, here's a few points of prayer. Always my prayer is for perseverance. This is Paul's prayer as well. We need perseverance. Spiritual protection. The, earlier this year, we got sick so much as a family. Um, and so we need prayer for, for protection and for, our, for the Vine Church. Um, because of provision that God is providing through you, through other sources, families and churches, we're at a place where we potentially could afford to have a home next year. So we would love to, to own our own home. And so you can pray uh, for that process, for God to provide the right place. Hope of our families, we could be able to buy the place that we're renting. God can do it. Um, we're on a journey to become organized as a church. Uh, right now we've been under our mother church in terms of a, a nonprofit, so other, all of our support goes through them. But uh, I am in the process of, of doing the articles of incorporation, the bylaws, all the wonderful things of... Uh, of the details of a nonprofit. So pray for us as we go through that journey. Um, we, we could use another worship leader because honestly, I, I set up, I lead worship, I preach, I take down, I evangelize, I raise support, um, and I love my family. So we could use some extra help in those areas so that we don't have to do all of that ourselves. Um, Please pray for uh, uh, the people I mentioned in the sermon. Antonio, Colt, Crystal, Carlos, Miguel, Clarence, and Walter. And for more, that the Lord would add the number, those who are being saved and those who are being discipled to his glory. Thank you, church. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our King Jesus, we thank you that you are advancing your kingdom here in Chowchilla through Cornerstone Community Church and through other ways, you are at work. I thank you that you are at work in Compton, advancing your kingdom. You are delivering people from demonization. You are rescuing people from drug addiction. 
Um, you are preaching good news to those who are in desperate despair and loss. You're doing that there, you're doing that here. I pray that every one of us would not be distracted by whatever distraction this world and the devil can throw at us, but that we would be fully embracing our calling as ministers of the gospel, people who know you, who are ambassadors of you, Jesus, in this world. For our neighbors, our coworkers, our family, our friends, I pray that we would open our mouth for those who are being oppressed. Would you use us to glorify you and we celebrate this relationship between Chowchilla, between Cornerstone and Compton. Have your way. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.